0: The following program is part of the National Committee on US-China Relations China Podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. My name is Margot Landman. I am Senior Director for Education Programs at the National Committee on US-China Relations. Joining me today on the NCUSCR China Podcast is Sean Xie. Deputy Director for Development and Operations at the Hong Kong-based labor rights organization China Labor Bulletin, where he has worked since 2014. From 2007 to 2014, he lived in Beijing, where he founded and directed the English Language Operations for China Development Brief, a bilingual independent media and research platform covering China's civil society and philanthropy sector. Sean, thanks for taking the time to talk with me today.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: A lot has been going on in the last couple of years in the law and regulation area of the Chinese civil society sector. Please start out by catching us up on the new charity law and the international NGO management law. In general terms, what do you expect the impact of the two laws to be on Chinese civil society?
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, these are two of the uh, most important pieces of legislation that have come out regulating uh, nonprofits in China, and the charity law, as you, as you mentioned, came out in um, in uh, March uh, <clears throat> and goes into effect uh, this September. And that charity law is directed towards the domestic nonprofit sector uh, in China. Uh, and then in April, a month afterwards, the uh, o- the foreign NGO law. Uh, came out and that will go into effect in January first of next year, and that law uh, focuses on the um, the overseas NGO sector. So you know these are very two very uh, comprehensive uh, laws. Uh, the charity law, in short, I think will just uh, it will create a better environment for uh, for nonprofits. They're doing charitable work. Um, it will. Uh, I think enhance the uh, tax deductibility, the tax incentives for these organizations. It will enable more organizations to do uh, public fundraising. It will uh, have I think an energizing effect on uh, the nonprofit sector in China. Uh, so I see that as a, a good piece of legislation. the uh, The overseas NGO law or the foreign NGO law, as some people call it. Is uh, not such a good law, and uh, it's, it seeks to have more of a restrictive effect on uh, the operations on foreign nonprofits in China. But like the charity law, it's also quite. Comp- it's very. It's very comprehensive. It basically regulates all activities of um, foreign NGOs in China.
0: One of the aspects of the foreign NGO law is the registration protocol, both for foundations and other organizations that have representative offices in China and those that don't. Could you talk a bit about the registration of foreign representative offices and how the process will affect their ability to work in China?
1: Sure. Um, So prior to this, this foreign NGO law coming out, uh, there was a foundation a set of foundation regulations uh, that were issued in 2004. So those foundation regulations did regulate the uh, setting up of representative offices of uh, foreign foundations. And uh, that was really the only regulation that said anything about registration of foreign NGOs. Um, unfortunately, during that period, from 2004 onward, uh, foreign foundations found it very difficult to register representative offices because they had to find uh, what was uh, an official sponsor or what the Chinese sometimes call a mother-in-law to supervise the work of these uh, foreign foundations. So I think only by 2014 or 2015, about 30 of several thousand um, foreign NGOs foundations in China were actually registered. Um, now. The new foreign NGO law um, will go one step further. It will not only regulate the re- the setting up of representative offices, but also it regulates the activities of foreign nonprofits that do not have an office in China. So, really, this is why I said it's it's very comprehensive. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really rectify, it seems, the the previous um, problems from of the past uh, the the foundation regulations because you still have to find, I mean, people, foreign NGOs that want to set up a uh, a representative office still have to find an official sponsor. So that is still there. Uh, So it remains to be seen whether or not uh, foreign NGOs will be able to register. Will they be able to find an official sponsor? Will will they be able to register? That we don't know yet. Um, So that very restrictive um, requirement is still there. Uh, At the same time, Foreign NGOs that don't, do not want to register an office but just want to, let's say, uh, run activities, collaborate with other Chinese organizations, uh, fund them, uh, also have to notify the uh, public security people about these activities. So that's a change from you know, the past regulations.
0: What do you foresee as the role or roles of domestic Chinese foundations and charities in the new world created by these laws and regulations? And do you think that foreign NGOs will figure out a way to work with domestic foundations and NGOs to promote work that both sides think is useful and effective?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a <clears throat> that's a great question. I think um, that uh, foreign NGOs, if they want to work in China and be relevant, they will have to figure out a way to to work with this uh, thriving sector of uh, Chinese foundations, uh, charitable organizations, nonprofits, uh, whatever you want to call them. But uh, the the charity law and um, the new regulations for foundations will lower the bar for um, for Chinese to establish foundations. Uh, So we're going to see – and even, I think, faster increase in foundations that we did in the past. Uh, of course, foundations have already grown very quickly uh, in China, pri- especially the, the private foundations. And uh, we're going to see even faster growth uh, after the charity law goes into effect, the charity law will also allow smaller foundations at uh, lower levels of like um, lower levels of the hierarchy to be established. So I think we'll also be able to, we'll see more uh, community type foundations um, that will come up. Uh, so yeah, I think the. The, the landscape uh, after this year will be very, very different than it was uh, previous to the charity law coming out. So I think it will have a, a, a really significant impact on um, the philanthropic charitable sector in China. And then it's up to, I think, you know, overseas NGOs to figure out how to navigate in that new landscape.
0: In one of the articles I read on the new international NGO law, the author, Professor Jin Jinping of Beida, mm-hmm. Peking University, wrote that NGOs have three distinct features, and I'm quoting: they are nonprofit, non-political and non-religious. That may be the Chinese definition of a nonprofit. It's certainly not the Western definition. Lots of American NGOs are overtly political and or religious. As just one example, a lot of disaster relief organizations are tied to churches. Will they be able to continue to operate in China under the new law?
1: Well, you know, I guess that depends on how you define political activities or religious activities. Um, But I would say that in the U.S., I mean, I think uh, charitable organizations that have 501c3 status also are not... Supposed to do get involved in political or religious activities, uh, so uh, and that um, in China they are you know they're they're requiring the same of charitable organizations. I mean, you can have other in the U.S. There are other types of nonprofits, uh, for example, political action committees. Five
0: hundred one C three can't be religious.
1: Not that I, I know of, they can have a religious background, but they can't engage in religious you know, activity. Uh-huh. Um, so in China, you have the same. You know, you also have organizations that do have a religious background uh, that are registered as foundations or charitable organizations. So a good example of that would be the Amity Foundation. So the Amity Foundation has, I mean, a, a clear religious background. They uh, came out of the uh, the Christian uh, Church, and so. You know, but they the the work that they do is uh, activities like uh, poverty alleviation. They don't they don't get involved in proselytizing. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, you do have that situation in China. Uh, again, you know, it, we'll have to see how how they define political and and religious activities, and that's being left very vague.
0: The example I had in my mind was the Mercy Corps. Hmm. which also has a religious background, even though in China I think they're quite careful not to be religious or overtly
1: religious. That's right. And there's also quite a few, like, um, I think organizations from Hong Kong that – are, are Christian in nature, and you know, so they have a religious background. But they're working uh, in, for example, education uh, in poverty alleviation. So, you know, they're not working again on on religious activities. And they and they they make it a point to not to do that. They make it a point, of course, to be very careful about the kind of work that they do. Right.
0: In the draft law, uh, draft international NGO management law that came out in April 2015, there was a temporary activities permit scheme for foreign NGOs that did not have or intend to set up representative offices. In the actual law that was promulgated, that has disappeared and has been replaced by a filing record system other than the change in language, what does that change actually mean?
1: Well, we're hoping that what that means is that uh, you just have to notify public security uh, rather than ask for their approval. So, yeah, the, the the previous draft of that law required you to if you were, if you were a non non-pro- a for nonprofit working in China that you had to get a permit for that temporary activity. So you actually had to get a, a, an approval from public security people. Now, the way it's written uh, is that you just have to notify them. You have to just file certain materials, requ- certain required materials, so let them let them know that you are doing this activity. After you finish this activity, you also have to send them a report about the nature of the activity and where the funding came from and so forth. So, you know, you still have to fill out uh, some paperwork and, and jump through some hoops, but you don't Uh, have to ask, you don't have to wait for any kind of formal approval. At least that's the way it's been written, and uh, that was a deliberate change in the language, so uh, let's hope that uh, they follow through on that because I think, you know, that will streamline the, the process.
0: Much of the discussion that I'm aware of about the new law has centered on two aspects of it. One is that foreign NGOs will now be under the jurisdiction of the Ministry of Public Security and its bureaus down the chain. And the other, that they will be required to funnel all funds through a Chinese partner organization's bank account. Could you talk about how these two provisions are likely to affect the work of foreign organizations in China?
1: Well... um I mean i i haven 't uh, had much experience fortunately with the the public security people, so I, I can 't say how it is dealing with them. I may mean, I have had of course I think all foreigners going through China have to deal with the public security in order to get um, you know to uh, to get their visas in order to get um, their residence permits and and so forth. so I think you know people who live in Beijing are well aware of the uh, entry exit. Uh, office uh, in Beijing where you have to go to to deal with that, and there you're dealing with the public security. Um, but I think, right, I mean that that certainly caught t- t- everyone's attention that uh, foreign NGOs were put under public security. But um, you know, I think I think we should look at it also as um, a uh, a welcome um, change because at least now we have a clear. Uh, we have a clear uh, agency that we have to deal with. We know who we need to deal with. Um, in the past, I think a lot of NGOs working in China were not really clear about it. You know, who do you talk to? I mean, who is your formal, um, you know, your formal, um, the formal agency that you have to you have to work with? Uh, and you know, this will I think provide some opportunity for. Foreign NGOs, I think, to establish maybe a better relationship with um, with the public security people. I think in the past there's been a lot of uh, suspicion and mistrust on on both sides. I think you know both public security people, the way they view NGOs, and NGOs, uh, the way the NGOs view public security. So I think maybe that kind of regular uh, contact, that regular those regular meetings and dealings between those two parties. Will help to maybe reduce some of the the mistrust.
0: And what about the funding aspect?
1: Well, I mean, I think you know, with the funding, um, you know, I think for for many organizations, that's 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 how they uh, they did work. I would probably, I think they're just to make a correction. I think that's the case for organizations, uh, foreign organizations that are. Uh, doing temporary activities. Right. But if you're a foreign, if you have a representative office, then you can have your own bank account. You don't have to use the bank account of your Chinese partner. Right,
0: I was referring to right. those so, that formerly would have had the temporary activity permit and right. just have the filing of record.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, that, had, that doesn't make a, there's not a, a major change there in the way that funds go... Um, go into China. Uh, you know, people who, organizations that fund Chinese organizations obviously have to use the bank account of those Chinese organizations, their Chinese partners. Um, and there's a lot of uh, foreign NGOs in China, that like I said, that are, are not registered. And the way that they work in China, because they're not registered, they have no representative office, is that they work with a Chinese partner, and then they use the bank account of that Chinese partner. Uh, and so... Um, You know, I think this is just sort of um, um, kind of, this is um, not, I think, a a change from, a big change from uh, past practices.
0: It would certainly be a change for how the National Committee does business. Okay. When we have programs in China, unless the Chinese partner is paying for certain things, which sometimes is the case, Mm. we pay. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. it would be a different scenario if we had to funnel all of our funds through a Chinese organization. But then that means
1: you must have a, a you must have your own bank account in in China. No. Oh. oh, okay. No. Okay. Hmm.
0: Unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time. This has been very interesting, and I thank you for talking with me today.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, Margo.